Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode. The Nolcast, as always, will start the Nolcast by thanking the people that make it possible, Louisiana Hot Sauce, and the good people at Tarpon Cellars Wine. You can go to tarponcellarswine.com, use coupon code NOLCAST, fantastic options when it comes to last-minute holiday gift, or if you just don't want to show up uh, for the holiday meals empty-handed. So, Bud's got his hat on. I've got the microphone situated right. I do believe we're ready to officially start this podcast. We're we cooking with grease. <laughs> All right, so FSU is four and six, which means it is still bowl eligible. Goes up to Boston College. Anchor, what time's this game? We got two nooners, dog. Noon and noon. I know. I do know that the Florida staff is not happy that uh, they have a nooner against Florida State. Does not help their recruiting. So I just wanted to wanted to mention that off the bat there. Um, Noon game for a roadie, you know, not always the worst thing in the world, right? I mean, would you rather play noon or would you rather play something at like eight o'clock up there when, when it's you know really nice and chilly? Yeah, yeah, and not not so much worried about the atmosphere in Boston as I am the temperature, and uh, I don't really think Florida's got much atmosphere left in them at this point from a fan base perspective. So, um, but yeah, get out, get the game in. Be interesting to see. Of course, they get there. Super dynamic quarterback back that we'll talk about in a second. But, uh, yeah, as you know, you feel real kind of cautiously optimistic. You'll certainly get a good feel for the maturation of the team, how they deal with success, if they can put things behind them, if they can, you know, have a a level of focus that we haven't seen uh, from the program in quite a long time. And um, at the same time, they're going to play a pretty decent football team that certainly has gotten their personnel issues right and uh, started off – Started off with an incredible start. Suffered the injury that they did, and Djokovic is back, and uh, we'll certainly talk about him. But why don't we start? Why don't we start the conversation tonight with uh, with what it looks like when Florida State has the ball and Boston College is on defense? Yeah, so uh, we'll we'll get to the more intriguing side of Boston College later. Uh, but this is an interesting matchup. Um, I actually think FSU's strengths match up fairly well with what Boston College does defensively. Uh, in FSU's favor, actually. So this is not a particularly good Boston College defense. Uh, I will give Jeff Halfley a coach I think is – I mean, I put him up there with any coach in the ACC, basically. Uh, I, I think that highly of him. I think he'll get like a Penn State job sooner rather than later and probably would be getting a lot more national love if his quarterback had not gotten hurt. Uh, you saw what happened to to Ohio State's defense when he left uh, the Buckeyes to go take over Boston College. BC's had defensive issues – the last two years dude you know it was an nfl coach i think he's really sharp he rates really highly in my like early talent identification numbers that that, that i keep for 24 7 sports in terms of they offer kids you know before we blow them up ratings wise so that's you know i think an encouraging for your you know, your operation as far as talent identification and the defense when, when halfway took it over was terrible like adazio just let this thing absolutely rot um this year, it is legitimately improved all, all the way to 64th. Last year, I think they were in the hundreds. Um, still, I will note, 64th is not particularly good. Um, that is not as good as NC State or Louisville. Certainly not as good as Clemson. Not as good as Miami. Not as good as Notre Dame. Uh, I guess what I'm saying here, guys, is that uh, FSU will have faced many more uh, defenses that are better than Boston College so far this year. That's not to say BC cannot give you problems, uh, but you are 
I think about as healthy as you could hope to be for week 11 of the season, right? Offensively, I, I would venture to say. And what you do matches up fairly well with what Boston College does. So what do you do well? What do you not do well? Well, you don't throw the ball worth a damn, despite the 4th and 14. Like, overall, you didn't put, you didn't throw the ball very well in that game, you know, on a down-to-down basis. Certainly, consistency was not your, your strong point there. On the course of the season, Travis is not going to scare anybody as a thrower. Uh, he's had some moments, but uh, this team, when it wins, it manages to run the football with the 11-man run game with Jordan Travis's legs creating angles in the rushing attack. And here's the thing. Boston College, 79th in, in rushing success rate allowed, 117th in rushing explosiveness allowed. They are a pretty damn good pass coverage unit. They will play a lot of complex coverages. They will also play a lot of man and a lot of kind of, you know, man plus one type stuff. That's not a great recipe for Jordan Travis throwing the ball necessarily, but we've talked a lot about FSU struggles against man coverage, and they do because the receivers aren't any good. But how much man do you want to play against Jordan? You know, like, especially with, with, with those explosive rush tendencies you've given up. I could see if you pop it some here. Yeah. It's hard, and again, we'll we'll address both sides of the ball independently, but it's hard for me almost not to see uh, <clears throat> one Florida State having a, a decent amount of explosive success, but I certainly think you're going to give up some to them as well. I mean, I, yeah. I think both offenses will have a – a decent amount of success, and it's it's almost like uh, you know which defense can can limit its historical liability. Now, Florida State's certainly gotten better about uh, responsibility and blown coverage, etc. But uh, you know you're facing a really talented kid that we'll get to talk about in a second. Uh, but no, I think you know it's just be an opportunity for, for uh, Corbin to have a continued strong performance. Um, you know, Jay Sean, Trey Sean, and. Uh, and then your quarterback, I think, all have a chance to have really significant days. So um, it'll be uh, very curious to see. I'm, I'm, you know, we don't talk a ton about gambling, but we'd like to lean on your experience when we can. And I just personally, from a layman's perspective, am a little bit surprised as to where the over/under is in this game. I think, uh, I think the Florida State will be able to run the ball, establish that, be successful with it, and at the same time have a decent degree of explosiveness and. Uh, What'd you say? It was in the mid fifties. I think 56? it's fifty five. Fifty five. That yeah. is a that's an interesting number. Uh, I would I would expect Florida State to do their part and more uh, in getting to that that number. If I had to bet it, I would certainly go go over, uh, not under. Um, the reasons why I believe it's probably w- is what it is. Right? Are some of the numbers not fully accounting for Jakovic being back in a limited limited capacity? Um, the fact that both these teams can run the football a little bit. Um, the other thing is like BC, they're faster when Dracovic is in there, but they're still not a crazy up tempo team. So like Miami is a very fast tempo team when they have success on first down. And Boston College is just not, you know. So those are something to, to consider there. I will also note. So I, I gave you the stuff on the rushing success rate allowed, right, and the explosiveness stuff. I do wonder how much of that also at times was a product of BC just selling out to get a stop when they didn't have Dracovic in there because they just couldn't score any points. And so, like, they're kind of gambling to get tackles for loss and stops. And as a result of those gambles, 
you know, they, they all of a sudden they give up a, a home run. Now, Georgia Tech did gash them some for some explosive runs. So I'm not saying that number is entirely fool's gold. I just want to present that. I don't really think that this is a bottom 15 unit in the country in explosiveness allowed on, on the ground. It's probably, I don't know, somewhere in the 90s or 80s if, if you if you took the numbers w- with Jerkovic in there. It's kind of weird how not having your quarterback can impact other areas of the football. But I, I think logically it does make sense. Certainly. Yeah, it does. Um, all right, before we move to uh, fully focusing on Dracovic and, and what it looks like when Boston College has the ball, we'll thank our friends uh, Chan- <laughs> Shannon and Chad uh, at the legendary team. Resolution Home Loans, great for us, great for you, bud. Great for what is rapidly approaching 250 of our listeners now. Uh, just a remarkable partnership. Dude, 844-FSU-LOAN is the number to call. 844-FSU-LOAN is that number. Great rates. I, I I get I get these mailers every day. Hey, we're going to reduce your, your your rate. No, you ain't. Not happening. Um, I mean that that is like I'm I'm still recruiting really hard here, man. I'm not going anywhere. I am not going anywhere uh, from from the guys' the legendary team. Eight four four FSU loan. If you know, you know, and a whole lot of no pass listeners do know. You want to talk boss college offense here? Yeah, so we've uh, we certainly talked enough in referencing him. We might as well talk about uh, Dracovic. Really impressive kid. Maybe a uh, maybe a, a decent draft pick in his own right. We'll have to see how he continues to come back from this injury. But it wouldn't shock me to see him somewhere, you know, early third or, or earlier, um, depending on what he looks like. Probably, in my opinion, a little bit better athlete than people give him credit for. And I don't mean like a four or five guy or something like that, but. Uh, create space for himself uh, to make a throw, can pick up, you know, uh, the occasional yard if it's there, but uh, just a guy who's really impressive. And uh, certainly some of his stats in the Georgia Tech game are, are remarkable. Uh, and like you said, the first game, uh, maybe he's not all the way back. Georgia Tech game confirmed that this is the same guy that we saw at the beginning of the year. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so tools-wise... He was a stud coming out of high school, man. And he signed not with Boston College, but with Notre Dame. He was one he was like the guy that Notre Dame fans all thought was going to be the next stud. And for whatever reason, it just did not click for him there with Brian Kelly. And so when he transferred to Boston College, I was like, hey, we'll see. I mean, I generally trust Kelly with quarterbacks, but no joke, Kelly Kelly didn't do this one right. And Boston College has found a way to unlock the tools and the skills that this guy has. Um, on the year, just even with that one kind of iffy game against Vitek when he came back very early from the hand injury, 64% completions, 13.2 adjusted yards per attempt, 5-1 to one touchdown interception ratio, throws the deep ball very well, which is the thing FSU still struggles with. Um, quarterback mobility is a plus for him. I, I think this is going to be a name that rockets up draft boards. You know, we hear a lot of the Sam Howell stuff. I, I think you'll start hearing Jakovic. Quite a bit, man. Pardon me. Yeah, no, we heard uh, something there. He's uh, <laughs> he's six five. He's a Western Western PA product. All the things that would make you think that he would sign with Notre Dame out of high school and and then have success there. Uh, yeah, I had had I'd queued up some of the highlights from the Georgia Tech game. Who decided to autoplay themselves as I was <laughs> processing back and forth between some windows. But uh, yeah, no, and I, I may be underselling him. I, I would just want to see a little bit more from the hand injury, but he certainly got all the tools to be a, a, a very significant uh, 
you know, part of the evaluation of the of the quarterback position for a lot of teams in the NFL. Uh, offensive line is decent, but not special. I mean, this is a a game, and obviously, when you preview any Florida State game this year, you, you talk about the importance of the offensive line, or excuse me, the, port, weird, the Florida man. State like, defensive line. Like they're rated really well, mm-hmm. and I think they got some guys who will play in the NFL, but their run game, like the numbers just don't match up. And I'm trying to figure out, like, I really like this offensive line. But I wonder if it's like how much of this these unimpressive run game numbers are like Grossell not being in there, so people could really just you know gang up against the or excuse me, Dracovic not being there, Grossell being there, so you could kind of just gang up against the run if you wanted to. Um, but now, like now that he's back in, they're running the ball a little bit better. I I think it's going to be a challenge. Like you're going to have to bring your A game. These guys are are pretty physical. Yeah. Well, you think a little bit more of them than I do. Decent unit, but uh, I think Florida State should, uh, you know, should be the better of the two. And again, you're going to have to lean on your defensive line to uh, to make a, a passer uncomfortable. I mean, you're going to—I don't know that you could expect uh, what you saw last weekend, but you need to see a unit that has uh, continued to assert itself. You know, be a difference maker and make a quarterback uncomfortable. And you certainly don't want. Uh, you know, Jakovic sitting back there feeling himself and then getting any kind of rhythm with Zay Flowers, who's, uh, you know, one of the more, probably one of the four or five better wide receivers that Florida State's faced uh, up until this point. You know something weird I kind of picked up in their numbers? They are the fifth most often blitz team in the country. So for whatever reason, opposing defensive coordinators have decided, now, not always with success, so that doesn't mean that just because other teams have done it to them doesn't mean you should do it too. Other teams have blitzed them quite a bit. You know, and I, I look at Boston College's schedule, right? So, holding up here, just I went through this exercise before the uh, before the show, and I exited out of the window. So, smart there. We are. Uh, it's Thursday night, and Bud and I are absolutely firing on all cylinders. I, I'm recovering from being pretty damn sick, man. Like not COVID, but I, I just I haven't had a sinus infection. Not knock me on my butt like that, and I'm not ditch digging, so I'm not going to call in sick to work. You know, I, I don't I don't really miss work. Uh, but man, if I didn't feel like crap this whole week. Uh, if, if if we had not won against Miami, I would have probably called in sick for that Monday night show. <laughs> that was uh, that was rough. I feel much better than I sound now. I still got like a, like a decent little throat tickle. So, you know, they, they played Vatek. Vatek has a decent D line. Uh, Col- Colgate not a great defensive line. UMass not really. Missouri absolutely not. Clemson very good. Obviously, really good D line. Louisville okay, not great. Syracuse. Uh, you know, all right, but Syracuse is a pretty heavy blitz team anyway. Georgia Tech, no. NC State is a pretty damn good D-line. But again, you know, BC didn't have Dracovic for that one. FSU is going to be one of the better defensive lines that Boston College has faced. Now, it doesn't is not one of the better linebacking cores uh, that they face. So that is worth noting. But I, I actually wonder if it makes sense to play them more conservatively and not blitz to see if you can get home with four. If you can, then that's that's pretty helpful. Didn't uh, I mean, not as though one game plan is going to mirror the other, but it's not as though you threw a ton of exotics at Miami by any means. No, and if you can, it. if you can establish what you're doing up front with those guys and and continue to be able to lean on some of those younger guys that are starting to starting to emerge as you uh, you know, rotate them in, then uh, it'd be fascinating to see. I don't know that. Uh, you know, I don't know that you have an absolute clear advantage here, but I think your defensive line can, you know, really be the fundamental uh, part of what you're trying to do here and uh, keep Djokovic from coming back and, you know, really 
<clears throat> really putting a couple final games on tape that uh, would further evaluate his NFL status. Do you want some good news? Please. All right. Uh, so, Boston College does not have some like freakazoid tied in this year, which is nice compared to some previous years you've had to play them, so that, that is kind of good. And on special teams, FSU is finally getting to play a punter who is merely decent. I think they're 45th in net punting. So not like first in the nation or third in the nation like they've had in recent weeks. The other thing is we are going to get to see the kickoff return unit on full display this this, this week because they do not kick the ball into the end zone very much. And uh, they also don't cover those kicks very well. Okay. So I do think Papuchas and, and company are going to have a little – Little feel here. I we, maybe we can return some kicks on these guys. So don't be surprised if FSU catches the ball at like the seven and returns it all the way to the fourteen. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, let's see. Hopefully there's uh you know hopefully they've got a, a thirty nine yarder in their back pocket that they've been waiting to throw out at us uh, all year. You know, for those that didn't see it, uh, old old coach Kenyatta Watson's got had some decent legs in his prime and certainly uh was a, a nice little kick returner back in his day uh for Boston College. So maybe he's got uh you know, maybe he's got some some special team memories that he can depart on that uh that unit. But Watson's really just done an exceptional job and that was a weak attempt for me to merge him into the podcast as we don't get to talk enough about uh what some of those guys do and, and he has certainly been a fantastic addition to the staff this year. Um we talked we mentioned Zay Flowers there you know, clearly the uh, the number one option when it comes to wide receivers. But uh, you mentioned they don't have a, you know, some kind of freakazoid tied in. But what are some of the other pieces that Florida State fans may see come noon on Saturday? So the uh, the other receiver is a little bit more, more of a possession option. I actually forgot, forgot his name here. I, I was exiting out, out of some of those tabs. Uh, the running back, Pat Garwo, is not super explosive. He's more of a pounder. Um, not like quite what like an A.J. Dillon was, obviously. Uh, but he kind of gets what's blocked for him. Doesn't seem to hit a lot of real explosive runs, but he's a tough runner. You know, I, I think personnel-wise, this is kind of an interesting matchup, man, because FSU wants to play more nickel and dime, I think. But in this game, Boston College is probably not going to run a whole lot of four wide, I wouldn't think. So you're going to have to play with more, like, are, do you want to fight that with your nickel package? Or do you want to go ahead and put Lundy and Gaynor and and uh, Deloach on the field at the same time, or do you go with more th- you know more three safety nickel uh, type stuff? Those are some decisions that Boston College will will make FSU uh, choose that are probably a little uncomfortable, to be honest, because they don't they don't have to they don't, you don't play that a whole lot. Mm-hmm. You know, even against NC State, you really didn't have a whole lot of times when you played a true forty three look. So that's more one of those things like we talked about in the preseason, but we really haven't had to break it out, or they haven't had to break it out much this year. Um, on the other side, they haven't played like they've played some good mobile quarterbacks. They played Cunningham from Louisville. They played Jeff Sims or no, they didn't actually No, Cause it was Yates. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause, cause Sam, Sims had an injury. So they have not faced a ton of super mobile guys there. Um, defensively. I wonder how much of their game plan they put in last week before they knew that Sims was out is going to carry over to, you know, to defending Jordan them. Mm-hmm. Um, Miami had the exact same order of, of opponent, by the way, right? Miami played Georgia Tech, and then they played FSU. Two of the more similar attacks, I would say, kind of in the ACC in terms of like really depending on, on a quarterback who can run, you know, maybe not a great thrower. 
we'll, we'll see how that goes. I'm, I'm curious about this. All right, man, you ready to slide into the prediction part? Let's, let's do a prediction. Any here. other personnel talk here? Uh, I'll let you lead us off. All right. Good guys. 30. Boston College, 28. Okay. Uh, I think this quarterback's really good. I have some doubts about BC's run defense. Um, and I think FSU's defense is coming together pretty well. Yeah, I really see both offenses doing okay here. I am uh, higher than the over-under than I think I've been all year. 35-31 Florida State, that's kind of where I am. So so uh, not worried about hangover effect. I just think you will I think you can score a decent amount against them, and I think they're going to score too. Uh, and I think that's fair. That's just what I keep coming back to when I look at these two matchups. I, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I certainly think that is – that's a reasonable score, man. If they get this win, next weekend's going to be really fun. Yeah. I think next weekend could be fun either way. But if they get this win, uh, that's that's going to be a very interesting podcast come next week. Me, uh, we should have done this earlier. Let me just do a real quick weather check uh, to make sure that we're not looking at twenty eight, you know, mile an hour winds in Boston on Saturday morning or something. Um, Can you type in Chestnut Hill? Yeah. I got it. Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts. Alerts, yeah. definitely not. Um, so I am showing... No, man. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, 45 degrees, 50 degrees, 41 degrees. Winds of two to three miles an hour. Yeah. I actually would like a whole lot of wind, to be honest. I know it makes it colder, but FSU is not a throw team. Boston College is a throw team, so... Uh, if, if that wind forecast wants to change, I think FSU would take the trade off. Fair enough. We have a ton of listener questions. We will do our best to try to get to as many of these as we can. Uh, Where should you ask those, Ingram? Yes, thank you, Bud. Uh, a real, a real great place to find us, and we've had some fantastic uh, people that have jumped on. A couple guys uh, like gave a, a annual um, sponsorship. I guess I'm not explaining that very well, but patreon.com backslash Noel Cash. You can go, you could choose a monthly or annual give, and some people doubled up their annual in the past week or so. Thanks to your amazing instant yes, reaction. Might have been tied to the instant, sir. but uh, it was it was greatly appreciated to all who did. And if you have an interest in joining our Patreon page, we'd love to have you. Um, scotch, baby. <laughs> exactly that old McAllen don't pay for itself uh and in this case and, and, did. and it did it did but uh I doubt we'll see a dime from YouTube because of old McAllen potty mouth there either so uh we we appreciate the support we, we marked that one explicit right <laughs> eh, I don't know that I was the most right, thorough that evening we'll go all right, look all right so Jeff asks are there particular coaches you would love to try and see Florida State have an interest in should uh, their staff get fired, um, or, or should the staff that they're on get fired? If, and this is speaking from Florida State's perspective now, if they should make changes or if they were in a place to take these guys as non-positional coaches? Um, sure. I mean, like, I, th I think Christian Robinson at Florida, uh, if, if that whole staff gets the ax, is a, a guy that a lot of recruits mention they're, they're fairly tight with, uh, despite the fact that Florida's recruiting efforts don't really – you know, seem to show it. Um, I think Durante Jones has done a hell of a job for LSU in like the last five weeks coordinating that defense, to be honest. Um, now, 
all due credit to Adam Fuller, last week was much better. If I, I mean, I don't think they're going to make a change there if he continues to show improvement like he has over the last couple of weeks. You know, we'll see if that's the right move based with next year's results. I guess. You know, the, the first first five games of the year still count, and you screwed up your recruiting in part because of that as well. So, you know, Durante Jones would be interesting to me. Uh, Robinson, obviously, from Florida. I don't know who I'd want off Miami staff necessarily. If Fuente wanted to come as an analyst, I mean, I, I don't think he would say no to that, right? The, the guy is pretty well respected as an, as a, an offensive mind, um, you know, so, like, he maybe just hates recruiting or something uh, you know, <laughs> based on their results. Yeah. No, he would uh, – he, he certainly feels like he's going to land in somebody's – analyst role for two years and then get back out there in a place where maybe he's not as not as reliant upon recruiting. Uh, Austin asks, what's Florida State's strategy at running back? Do we realistically have a chance with the Barnes kid, or do we think Portal will be where they look uh, to bring in talent? Also, what are the chances that Corbin goes pro after the season? So, I, I don't personally think they have much of a shot at Catron Allen, you know? Um they feel like they showed Barnes a great visit, but are probably playing playing chase there. This is not a good year for running backs, in their opinion. Uh, they do like the Castellanos kid as a running back slash you know hybrid type role, and they already have Rodney Hill uh, committed for you know kind of a similar role. Uh, they will have playing time to sell next year uh, to maybe get a more elite running back in there, and they could go portal again at the running back spot, depending, of course, on what the second half of this question asks, which is Jason Corbin. What What is Corbin going to run at a combine? He has good production. You know, he is a fairly efficient runner. Sometimes the holes he has to run behind here are not great. But I don't know if he's going to go pro or not. I mean, he could have a more breakout year next year because I do think the offensive line should take another step. I mean, it'd be hard for me to think they're worse next year, given the fact they've been pretty damn banged up this year. Almost everybody of importance comes back, and they're already adding pieces in the portal. So, I don't know, man. I don't think he's going to go pro. But he but he already had that one bad injury, and that's got to be in the back of his mind. He's not getting any younger. Running backs typically don't get big contracts unless you're a first-rounder, which he certainly will not be. You think he's going to jump? I think there's a chance. I do. Uh, you know, maybe if he has a, yeah, I do. I think he'll give it real consideration. Uh, I'm not not saying wholeheartedly one way or another, but I think that is a uh, situation that's still being evaluated. Traveling snowman asks, "I'm surprised with the lack of skill position commits in the 2022 class, given the lack of talent uh, currently on the roster, particularly wide receiver. Is this intentional? Uh, are there any guys out there that we should expect them to land?" Uh, on or before signing day. So, I mean, I think we've talked a decent amount that uh, Kevin Coleman is the ingredient that's kind of dictating what they're doing at wide receiver right now, or at least that's my uh, understanding as to where the conversation starts there. Uh, we just talked about wide receiver. Obviously, quarterback's not going to get in the uh, conversation at any point. So, yeah, I think it is kind of a flow chart at wide receiver, and it starts with Kevin Coleman. And, uh, you know, if you're from Florida State's perspective, I guess you kind of hope that it doesn't go past that name either. Sorry, I was muted. Um, I agree with you there. I, I think that 
like if Coleman, if they don't get better vibes on Coleman or, you know, get a good feel that he's coming, maybe they do go ahead and green light a Brown. I think they will absolutely hit the portal for receiver, uh, you know, come, come this off season. Uh, they look, the people that I talk to have been consistent on this. They expect Dustin Hill in for the spring. If they're wrong for whatever reason, then that's a big miscalculation by the staff. And I think one they would deserve criticism for. Because if they actually don't get that kid in, they should have been expanding their board. I think if you look at their actions, they believe that he's coming in. You know, like he's actually on their recruiting board. I will tell you that. So, um, like, I think they expect him to come in and play well. You know, now he hasn't played football in a year, at least not to my knowledge. Maybe he's playing on some some pickup team or something or hopefully still running some routes and, you know, and, and working out. Um, this is just not a great year for skill guys. They feel like they have the best slot in the state in Mortimer. I concur. Uh, the best receiver in the state is probably the Gibson kid who Florida landed. And, you know, it wasn't like they were beating out Bama and Georgia for him. So it's a weirdly down year in the state for receivers. Next year is a very good year in the state for wide receivers comparatively. So I think next year FSU will probably look to sign three or four high school receivers. TJ says 3128, 3128. That's fun to say. Uh, anyway, which improbable completion against a rival do you think will hold up better over time? Fourth and 14 or fourth and 21? So fourth and 21 is Rick's to, to, to Robinson, right? Mm, that's fourth and 14 as well. I'm pretty sure. What is fourth and 21? I, I wasn't sure what he meant by that when, he, when I saw that. Uh, if you guys are... Probably yeah, Rick's to, Rick's to Crow was a um, fourth and fourteen play as well. Fourth and fourteen is just the number in, in FSU rivalries, then. Yes. Fourth and twenty-one. I 21. was smart ass, smart astically uh, to coin a phrase, making a reference to that during the the instant. But yeah, uh, it, all right. So we'll just say that's what we're interpreting this as, and if Bo, uh, Bud and I are having a bonehead minute moment and forgetting fourth and Possibly. twenty-one. Um. I mean, I think it's more the Florida game. I mean, well, obviously in time. If if in five years Florida State is uh, back to winning the conference and signing top five classes and stuff like that, right. then what happened last Saturday will be seen as a significant turning point. Uh, but for now, I would have the 2003 game with uh, Rick Sacro Marty there just because it was so unexpected. And you were positive Chris Ricks was going to throw a ball into the dirt, and he threw maybe his best throw over the middle of his whole career. And then he throws a ball on first down that I'm literally like screaming to him, you don't have to do this right now. It's first down. And somehow PK Sam comes down with it. And PK it's Sam. One, of the more, <laughs> one of the more wild endings to that game that uh, that can be remembered. And the, uh, the the Gators radio guy on that call is amazing. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Hot. It's amazing. Oh, PK Sam. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's like a death rattle call, man. It's amazing. Uh, hilarious. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, let's go ahead. Uh, the other question, or the next question was Mason asking, uh, so he says, hey, just like FSU's win over UM on Saturday, that was an instant classic, instant reaction. Yes, sir, it was. Kudos, Ingram, and his McCallum. Uh, out of the remaining offensive linemen on the board, who seems the most realistic to get? Woody, who's still committed, by the way, guys. 
uh, Armella or Goodwin. Is it realistic to think you can get two or three? How many four offensive linemen do you think uh, they will take after ESP thinking they get two of those three? So in order here, obviously Woody is the most likely because he actually made it to campus. We know Alex Atkins um, and Woodson have done a really nice job recruiting him. They were the first to offer him, you know, like of, of the big boys and showed the faith in him and his academics all the way through. And I think that counts for something. Uh, also, Auburn is not looking quite as good right now. They just blew a 28-3 lead at home to Mississippi State. They didn't just blow it. Uh, they had Mississippi State waving their fans goodbye with like six minutes left. I mean, it was uh, it was as dramatic and humiliating a turnaround as you're going to see in a game like that, as you can remember. They went from being up 28-3 to down like 42-28 with like five minutes left. Yeah. And that was when they were letting everybody yeah. know, we'll miss you. So uh, Armella is a realistic target, in my opinion. Uh, I think that I will just keep my crystal ball on FSU that I've had it for like three years. Um, Goodwin is not, a, is not a realistic option in any way, shape, or form. I think that's a situation where the kid calls you. He realizes that it's like one of the better games at the Southeast. A lot of big-time recruits are going to be there. He wants to come in town on your dime. You're like, yeah, man. Come on down. It looks good for you. He gets to have fun. Nobody really loses here. Also, nobody at FSU thinks they have a shot. So, 0% chance on Goodwin. Zero. How many more offensive linemen will they take in the high school ranks following the early signing period? I, I would assume zero unless somebody emerges very late. Um, I think they'll probably take two to three offensive line transfers. Uh, Tim says, after seeing the lack of a true wide receiver playmaker this year, who do you think will have a bigger impact on next year's team at wide receiver, Travis Hunter or Destin Hill? I know you guys were very high on Hill coming into the wide receiver room and immediately being its best playmaker, What? but with the pure talent that Travis Hunter uh, brings, even if he's not a full-time wide receiver, I've had a hard time seeing he would be more impactful. Yeah, so a couple of things that we're obviously going to just speak on as though they occur, and we've talked about the uncertainty surrounding Dustin Hill, but we'll put that aside. Um, yeah, I mean, Travis Hunter's the number one player in the country. Uh, Travis Hunter is his, has as uh, good of a ability to go up and high point the ball that I've ever seen in a high school prospect. I mean, he's very special. Uh, we'll just have to see what that what that breakdown looks like. I mean, the kid in the long term for his career wants to play defense back. He also wants to play wide receiver. Uh, it would be fascinating to see how you try to manage that and how much those percentages may flip or, or not flip, but kind of uh, ebb and flow over time. I, I think they will use him both ways. I just don't think he's going to start both ways. Um, you know, coming off the injury, I think you're going to want to make sure that he's really, really comfortable at DB. But, I mean, the guy, athletically and ball skills-wise, at receiver, I mean, it's pretty special. So, I'm still going to say Hill because I think Hill's going to be dedicated to one side of the ball. And physically, he's pretty freaky. You know, he he ran the fastest time at the Army Combine as a sophomore, I think. So, hmm. okay. I, I will – assuming Hill has stayed in shape and actually does get into school, um, I'll go ahead and say Hill. Congratulations, Tim. You got uh, you got Bud and I falling on different sides of an issue. There doesn't happen very often. Cole says, "Man, what a game!" Still excited thinking about that Miami win. Now that it stunk sunk in some, I'm curious. Do you think we gained more from winning that game 
uh, in the manner that we did, being that we blew an early lead and then came back late, or do you think if we had been able to take the early lead and end up blowing them out? Obviously, blown out arrival would have been a statement that had, uh, that had previously happened. But after thinking about it for a while, I kind of feel like this team and fan base uh, may actually have gained more from seeing the team come back from a blown lead. Um, uh, I mean, we haven't seen that much of a team respond to adversity in a long time, uh, really since Jimbo uh, was so emotionally invested. So, yeah, I mean, I certainly think there's some kind of uh, maturation of a team that we've seen, and also you get to see a team that gets paid out for all that you know, saying that they quit is no longer a open, almost a backhanded compliment. They, right. or I'm sorry, saying that they didn't quit is not, you know, an empty, almost backhanded compliment. Came back, meant that they faced adversity, let a team score what felt to all the world. There was points in that game that Miami was going to win, and Florida State ended up winning. That's a, that's a great moment in time for a team that's trying to find its footing and, and buy in and uh, obviously a very, you know, fulfilling uh, thing to see come to fruition. So I, I think um, this is a really fun question because on the one hand, you could argue that a blowout would have probably been a party the entire time in the stands. You know what I mean? Like it would have just been nonstop, nonstop tomahawk chop, which is a pretty cool vibe for the recruits. Um, but like this did keep the recruits engaged pretty much the entire time. And it showed fight. You, all, you were also able to demonstrate the need for certain players to come in and play immediately at certain spots, right? So I, I don't know you'd want to take it in another way. If you did blow them out, I mean, like that, it's probably crazy for me to say that like a huge blowout would not have been better, but maybe the gap is just not that big. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Derek has one of the few real preview questions here. He says, can you note the similarities and differences between the passing attacks of Miami and B.C.? Uh, will Florida State face a heavy emphasis on limiting explosive plays in the air again this week and try to force uh, their quarterback to make accurate underneath throws consistently? That's the way I would play it, yeah. Um, so a couple things. Boston College does not use those really, really wide splits like Miami and you know old-school Baylor uh, do. Boston College is not going to play you know super crazy tempo. Uh, BC will be a little more under center a little more like downhill play action game when they do it as opposed to more like the you know side saddle. Not that BC is not in the gun because they certainly are in the gun a, a pretty good bit. Those are some of the the bigger things you, you'll see. I think BC runs a lot more crossing routes personally, so that's one of the ways they'll have to get the linebackers engaged. If, if, and and we'll see we'll see how Boston College how many bunch sets they use and how FSU will respond to it. Because FSU wants to play man-to-man -man more often than not. and Or, you know, play some sort some form of quarters. I want to see how FSU responds when Boston College goes bunch and FSU has to pass off, or, uh, pass off guys coming out of that bunch. That's something I'm a little bit worried at here for this defense. Interesting point. Uh, Josh says he's had an interesting debate with a friend of his about the talent level on the team. And his friends under the oh, impression... I already responded to, uh, to this one. I just said we're not going to take this. A great one? Okay. It's, just, it's another question from Josh trying to get us to crap on the roster. And we've already done it plenty. 
Uh, MJ, now that we've uh, answered that one. So Jermaine Johnson has uh, passed, or has Jermaine Johnson passed Weldon as the greatest player to wear number 11. I grew up going to those games uh, in the early 90s, and maybe it's just recency bias, uh, but Johnson sure seems to have a monster season. Uh, he says that he'd also like to request that if we beat Florida, we get another Ingram unfiltered reaction. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd certainly... I'm not going to make a caricature of myself, y'all, where I just get drunk and, uh, you know, wander around the living room here. But uh, it would be great to be able to do a little final regular season uh, instant reaction where you're able to talk about a team that made as much of a stride as uh, as this would. So, has Jermaine Johnson passed Casey Lowe? I mean, I don't know, man. Casey Weldon no. was runner-up in the Heisman. That's a, yeah, that's definitely a, not. That is a... People forget how good of a player Casey Weldon was because the guy that immediately went after him and some of the quarterbacks wedged in between there. But Weldon was a uh, was a ridiculous, ridiculously good player. Uh, I mean, like I think Johnson could get drafted higher, but he was literally second place in the Heisman voting. So, from a college standpoint, no, absolutely not. Like it's it's Casey Weldon. Yeah. Uh, and we love Jermaine Johnson on the show. Oh yeah, nobody. Listen to the instant if you don't think uh, that this show isn't a big fan of Jermaine Johnson. Uh, Sam says, please tell me there'll be a reaction segment about the Miami Roundtable after it's released to the public. I mean, I doubt we'll, we'll talk about it, but I can tell you what that'll be, Sam. They're going to talk for five minutes. A lot of players are going to stand up, talk about... They'll smoke some cigars? Yeah, yeah. Smoke and swagger, and that they got to play real hard and try real hard and... It'll turn into a conversation about how good that program was 35 years ago, uh, or more. So, uh, Kesna says, what a great win last week. Agree, Kesna. I love seeing the buy-in from everyone, which is really obvious, and how hard they played. Looking at the sluggish offensive performance at times in that game and near and the near offensive explosion in the closing minutes, uh, it felt shades of 1992, Georgia Tech, where Brad Scott and Mark Rick realized they had to make the most of their success running a two-minute drill because it simplified the decision-making for Charlie. I'm not comparing JT to Charlie Ward, but it's great to me, uh, or it's clear to me that JT makes his most confident throws in this uh, two-minute type setup. I'm thinking we need to move uh, to a potential Kentucky Derby offense, which won Charlie a Heisman and perhaps would allow TJ, or excuse me, JT, to operate better in. I, I'm just not buying in yet on Jordan throwing. Um I'm buying him as, as improved throwing, but I I am full selling any offense that is emphasizing his arm. Uh, I, I don't trust him to be an accurate passer at this point in his career. I th- and I, I think, like, Keston's a super sharp guy. And I agree, he did thrive in that role. But that role is also a really limited sample set. And, like, listen to Man- Manny Diaz's comments. You know, we're still playing him to run. This kid has not been able to hit a pass in, in like, two quarters. You know, like like he was shocked at how well Jordan threw it there in the fourth. But Manny's right. You know, Jordan also didn't throw the ball very well a lot of other times in that game. And I guarantee you all the other opposing coach, coaching staffs who watch Jordan are not scared of him throwing the ball. Like, that's like, I don't know. This is a weird question because it, it puts me in a position to kind of like crap on Jordan throwing. And he's improved. And I'm encouraged by it. But I am still absolutely go get yourself a transfer quarterback in the portal this offseason, mostly due to Jordan's inability to stay healthy and practice from week to week. Yeah. But yeah, also no, because, I'm... like, you know, at some point you need to run the offense that you want to run long term. And you need to showcase that for receiver recruiting 
So I think, if, you know, like if Jordan wants to be your starter next year, he's got to improve even more as a passer, which I expect he will. But I don't – I'm not ready to move to any kind of offense that emphasizes his arm more. Uh, like they need to keep emphasizing his legs, I think. I thought this was an interesting uh, question from Brian. He said, if given the chance to swap wins and losses uh, on this schedule, what would you change, ex- excluding the Jacksonville State game? Uh and for this exercise, pretend our record is currently four and five. Am I crazy to think that the close loss to Notre Dame and wins over UNC and Miami is one of the more preferred combinations? I would rather have the Wake win and the Louisville win, and and uh, and I, I would give back the, the the two more recent ones you have. For the, you'd give uh, back Miami. Yeah, I know mm-hmm. it sounds crazy. Yeah, I got to like, disagree. Like, I got to go back to what I said in the preseason. If you start hot. You get to carry over the recruiting momentum. They lost all the recruiting momentum. You lost the kid to Bama because you you weren't competitive in that race because you started out 0-4. If you start out hot, I guarantee you this coaching staff, with how good it is, could just kind of a little white lie their way. Hey, we had a bunch of injuries down the stretch. We're showing why we need that depth. Mm-hmm. They like If they wanted to really have a mega recruiting class, they would have had to have started hot. And they didn't. That They started out the worst possible way they could. Keeping Miami, uh, trading something for a win against Notre Dame. North Carolina. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, um, I, I know that's kind of a crazy answer, and, and people will hate me for that, but, like, I mean, you lost all, all your momentum. You had to start over in, in the month of October, and that, that that's going to hurt your recruiting class. It'll hurt you two years down the road when, when the guys you're signing this year you're like, damn, wish we had that kid, wish we had that kid, but they're they're not here because you didn't give them a reason to consider you out the gate by starting 0-4. <laughs> at the beginning of the season, you guys mentioned, this is from Mark, at the beginning of the season, you guys mentioned you would, uh, well, yeah, he just, well, basically, Mark, interesting. Mark's question is basically a, pray, a play on the exercise that Brian just asked us to do. He says, uh, at the beginning of the season, you guys mentioned you would take a hard, hot start in recruiting rather than a hot finish. Unfortunately, we all know how the first half of the season went. If we manage, if we manage to win against Boston College and Florida, and finish the season six and two in our last eight, is there a chance for that to still impact a couple of guys before signing day that were maybe on the fence earlier in the year? I don't really think so. I mean, I think you got some value out of the Miami win, to be honest. And clearly, finishing six and six is better than finishing, you know, zero and twelve, right? Like not continuing to start 0 and 4 and then lose all the remaining games is better than you know than than doing it. So but like I don't think there's a whole lot of kids out there right now that are paying attention to will FSU go to a bowl or not. I don't think they really care. You know, like I I think your chance to win over recruits with wins or losses for the most part was in September. Yeah. Because you were super hot coming off the summer. Um the games that are gonna, <laughs> the next two games are gonna matter more for the twenty three class than they are the twenty two class. Uh, yeah. Florida in particular. Uh, before we get to our final question of the night, we'll thank our good friends at Congruity. As always, Congruity is, is experiencing your business optimized, and Congruity and our friend Matt Lewis bring you highly customized HR solutions designed to enhance your brand, save time, save money, and reduce your risk as a business. You can reach Matt at 844-247-4100 or Knowles, N-O-L-E-S, at congruityhr.com. All right, uh, last question here. 
Caleb, uh, what is the best case scenario for Knowles fans with regards to Dan Mullen? Should we be hoping Dan gets fired and Florida is thrown into this competitive coaching market? Or are we better off with Dan getting another year so Mike can make up more ground on the talent front? Finally, if Dan survives next season, what are the chances they have a good year and he is around even longer? I mean, I, I think that you hope that Florida gets somewhat trepid about entering the market this year and for some reason de- decides to keep him here uh, or keep him in Gainesville for another year in whatever course of action uh, that is. I find that hard to believe that that'll transpire if Florida State goes in and beats Florida with what will probably be 37,000 people in that stadium, maybe less. Uh, but any any series of action that keeps Mullen or Manny in their position next year is a is a godsend for Florida State. So I I think I agree um, with your take on Florida on Miami. I'm not sure I do, but I think you you make a really good point with Florida. Um, I think it's better for FSU if they keep Mullen because it's pretty clear to me he's not going to be able to recruit there to the extent you should be able to do at the University of Florida. Um, and they'll probably waste some money on coordinators and all that stuff. And they kind of have a wasted class this year. And if they have to do a midseason firing next year, that'll be kind of a wasted class stacked back-to-back. And that'll be just a shame for FSU fans, I'm sure. Um, what are the chances that they're good next year? It's fairly decent, I think, if he, if he has a good offseason. I mean – he also has two quarterbacks there who he's fairly high on. If if they can get Richardson going, then they could get right back and, and have another really nice year. I mean, the guys the guys gone to BCS bowls there more often than not, right? So for as much as we clown on him, and I think most of us deserved, it's not impossible to think he, he could be good next year. But oh, you gotta, it seems you unlikely. Have to ex- explain this Manny opinion to me, please, sir. You can all right. The, the man it out, but yeah, I mean, uh, I'm gonna need this one. God, my throat is just like crazy dry. So the Manny opinion: Miami does not have an AD right now, right? Um, Miami's not recruiting super well right now either. They only have like eight kids committed. I do think though, for the long term, it would be better if Miami rushed to hire this time without an AD and continue the dysfunction. What I think they might do actually, and this is just a shot in the dark. But what if Oregon wins this weekend? It means man that means Mario is going to be playing, you know, for the Pac-12 title. At that point, they're probably pretty good odds to go to the playoff. Are you going to wait out Mario? I mean, they probably would and should if he seriously would consider that job. Which I've had non-media people tell me that Mario like seriously likes that job. Like much more than I realized. So I'm not dismissing that as just Twitter craziness. Maybe I should actually, but like I have people telling me like, ah, like I wouldn't be shocked. Like you mm-hmm. really wouldn't be shocked. Like no, like I seriously think he values like that area. So they fired Blake James, who notoriously does not get along with many with Mario um, Cristobal. If they like wait, make a good hire at AD, let Mar- let Manny coach next year. Maybe maybe Oregon's not threatening the playoff next year. Then you go out and get the guy you really want to fit your program. It would be an absolute like, I would say, kind of home run for them, right? Like that is a bit of an overreach as far 
it's on the upper levels of what you think Miami can probably go get reasonably as a coaching staff. I would label it perhaps unreasonable. I mean, I know sure, he has the I, ties, I but that's that's the the reachest of the reach uh, for them, in my opinion. But... Touchdown, Louisville. If you took that over, <laughs> nice. Over fifty-eight and a half. We got forty-one points in the first half. That'll work. Let's go, baby. Start the week three and zero. Um, does that make that that makes sense though? Like, it's oh, a very long <clears throat> perspective on it. Yeah, kind of fan fiction, I guess. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I I still think you would have a dead recruiting class this year. Next year's class would probably be dead, and last year's class may turn into nothing. And well, last year's class might transfer. Well, that's what I mean. Last year's yeah, class yeah. may fall apart. This year's class may be non-existent and good year trying good luck trying to do whatever you can next year's class and you tell me a program's thrung strung three crap recruiting classes together um that's we got a decent idea as to what that looks like around here so um yes we do yeah yeah all right man well that was good i enjoyed uh you know not that i don't enjoy taking listener questions but there was some conversation had in those that i didn't necessarily originally see when we uh put them on the show sheet so uh very much enjoyed thank you to all our Patreons, everybody that makes the no-cast possible. Um, always always great to be able to do this and great to be able to cover a program where there's a decent amount of very legitimate excitement about how these two games may end and, and what the overall trajectory looks like for Florida State. So Thanksgiving episode coming up next week. We'll have to give thanks. We, we need to do our uh, – in, in two weeks we'll be doing our snap count uh, draft recap. Oh, Although yes. I do have to ask you a question. Do bowl games count in this, right? Uh, we'll have to go back and see if we mentioned that, but yeah, see they should. Guys, you might opt out or not. I think they should. Yeah, right. Wait till, <laughs> let me see how many guys I got drafted yeah. that aren't going to play in the game. Who drafted uh, Jermaine? Who drafted? Yeah, Jermaine. right. I, I got Jermaine, so I'm a uh, yeah. No, both. No, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Regular. This trophy is for regular season games. Uh, but yeah, we'll have to see. Oh man, we'll awesome. All right, y'all. Five stars if you if you get the opportunity. If you subscribe on YouTube, whatever else you can do to support the show, you know that's greatly appreciated.